Welcome to an enlightening podcast from IslamPodcasts.com. We encourage our listeners to please comment and let us know how we can grow in our knowledge to better serve our community. Please remind your family and friends to also visit IslamPodcasts.com for engaging discussions on current events, Islamic guidance, Quran, Tafsir, Sira, and much more. بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله والصلاة والسلام على سيد المرسلين وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين رب اشرح لي صدري ويسر لي أمري وحل العقدة من لساني يفقه قولي أما بعد Dear brothers and sisters in Islam السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته The topic of Palestine it's been especially in the last 50-60 days 50-50 some days been at the mind's and the hearts of every Muslim, and the minds and the hearts of everyone in the whole world who cares about humanity, who cares about lives. And this conflict, at one point, is going to reach an end. It's going to stop. This one? There was some interference, that's why I put it down. Yeah. Is it better? You got it. <laughs> Inshallah. 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 So the topic of Palestine, the issue of Palestine, uh, it's in the hearts of every Muslim. And this is a special, especially to the Muslims. It has a special meaning to the Muslims, as I discussed last month in our, in our talk about Palestine, uh, what it means to us. And so we as Muslims, and I'm not talking here as Palestinians or Arabs, uh, I'm talking about Muslims. The issue of Palestine is dear to our hearts. The... Uh, as I said, the conflict is going to stop, the current, the current one that's in, in, in Gaza. At one point, it's going to stop. There was a temporary ceasefire for five days, six days, extended to seven days. And today, they resumed the bombing, killings. Hundreds were killed just today. So with that, what's going on and the pressure on the Zionist entity to go and stop the, 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 the aggression, at one point, they will stop because this happened in the past. This is not something new when it comes to Gaza. The killings that are happening in Gaza, the oppression that's happening in Gaza, it's not something new. It happened in the past. The discussion here, okay, what's after that? What's going to happen after that? And what the people or the, the, the leading countries in the world have been talking about in terms of a solution? You have heard the term two-state solution that came in the, in the news. The United States is talking about it. The United Nations is talking about it. The Arab regimes are talking about it. This is the solution to the issue of Palestine is the two-state solution. So today, inshallah, we're going to touch into what's a two-state solution, the history of it, how it started. Was there other solutions before that? How did it come to be the de facto solution that the whole world is discussing now? And then we're going to talk about the viability of this solution 
and inshallah finish with uh, concluding uh, remarks. The issue of how this all happens. We know that when we talked about last time that the uh, Britain gave Palestine through the Belfort Declaration to the Zionists in order to establish a Zionist entity, in order to establish a homeland for the Jews on the homeland of the Palestinians, the, uh, the Arabs, and was giving them by force through the Belfort Declaration, and then by the support of the United Nations and the Zionist entity, the Israelis, they went in 1947 and they declared their independence. And in 1948, there was, a, there was a war between them and the Arabs and the Arab regimes at that time. So once they declared their independence, saying that this is our land and this is the Zionist land, it's going to be over uh, a certain area of Palestine, uh, the projector is not working, I will, otherwise I will show you what that is in the slides, but it's not working, no problem. So they were, now there were people who were living there. What's going to happen to those people? There was a land that the Muslims there, the Palestinians who live in that land, it's their land. Now the Zionists came and said, okay, this is our land now by declaring, by declaring their independence. This is ours and it belongs to us. It doesn't belong to you. There were refugees from this land that, was, that the Zionist entity claimed. There were refugees. 700,000, 750,000 refugees. Okay, what's going to happen to them? These are issues as international nations, they have to go and address and discuss. In order to come to a, to a resolution for that and a solution for that, the UN, the UN came with the declaration that Palestine will be divided into two lands. One land belongs to the Jews and one land belongs to the Palestinians. The land that belongs to the Palestinians is the 1948, uh, which is, sorry, the West Bank and Gaza. The rest of Palestine will belong to the, uh, to the Jews. Now, the, the Palestinians did not, did not accept that. You know, it's your land that's been taken by force. Your people have been killed. Massacres that, are, that happened in the past, in the history since 1917 until 1948. Your brothers are being killed. Your mothers are killed. Your fathers are killed. Your relatives are killed. Your, your village is destroyed and demolished, erased from the map. It doesn't exist anymore. Will you give up just taking over your land easily? And you say this, yes, I accept the United Nations resolution and that's it. No, that's not expected from any human forget Muslims, from any human. This is not expected. So the world start discussing solutions. The world start discussing solutions to this. You have 750,000 refugees. What's going to happen to them? How are we going to deal with them? Some of them in, in Egypt, some of them in Lebanon, some of them in Syria, some of them in Jordan, some of them in the West Bank, some of them in Gaza. How are we going to deal with them? What's their status? That's one issue that the world had to deal with it at that time and discuss. The other one is the Israel became a reality in the eyes of the West and in the eyes of the Arab leaders at that time. It became, there, became a reality. If it became a reality, then there has to be a way, or for, a way to make 
relationship between the new entity that existed there with the countries that were created after Sykes people. So there has to be a way for creating a relationship, normalization. That doesn't come in one day. That doesn't come in a second. That doesn't come in a year. That comes in a plan. That's a plan. So the United Nations start planning for that. And there were two proposed solutions at that time. One started with, I'm sure you guess who, by the British. The British were the power at that time. The British were the ones who created the, the Zionist entity, the one who gave them the, the, the Belfort Declaration and gave them the land. And the British, when it comes to politics, they're, they're very smart. They plan ahead and they know what they're planning. So what they said, in order for this new state, a new entity that is created, it has to have a normal relationship with the neighboring countries. And if it just isolates itself, if it just isolates itself, then it's going to be removed the way that the Crusades were removed before. So let's integrate them, integrate this new entity with the Palestinian entity into one and create what was called at that time the one state solution. So one country, the whole Palestine, for both the Jews and the, and the Palestinians, Arabs, Christians, Jews, all of them, the governance is by the, by the Zionists, or they are the ones who are in control, they are the ones who, who run the state, democratic state with elections. And when you do that, when you do that, you will have a normal relationship. You'll start building your own normal relationship with the neighboring countries. And this way, that state will be, will exist and will continue to exist because it's been integrated into that area. This was the British plan, which is the one state solution. Now, after World War II, United States emerged as a superpower. So a solution to this issue, also the United States will have its own way of solving this, the, this problem. It's an international problem. So the United States have to go and solve it, whether it goes and put hands in hand with the United Kingdom, with England, and adopt their solution, or they come up with their own solution. So in 1950, the US ambassadors in the Middle East, the ambassadors for all the Muslim, Muslim dance, they met in Turkey. And they discussed the Palestinian-Israeli conflict, and they decided to solve it to solve this conflict alone and to side Britain. They don't want Britain to be involved in this. So their solution was dividing Palestine into two entities, the Palestinians, one entity for Palestinians and one entity for the Jewish. And at the same time, they have to go and deal with the issue of the refugees. So this was in 1950, just the ambassador met together. In 1959, the U.S. as a government, as a country, adopted this proposal of the two-state solution. And it gave more details. And in the details, it says, Palestinian entity will be established on the West Bank and Gaza. Jerusalem will be under international 
mandate, under international mandate. Small parts of the refugees will return to live in the Jewish entity, which is the 1948. The majority of the refugees will be settled in Arab countries and will be financially compensated. So pay, pay them. So now there are two solutions between UK, Britain, and the United States, two proposals going in the world. United States is a new as a superpower at that time. Britain has control of that area. It has many, when it came to the rulers of the Arab world, it has many rulers who are agents to, to Britain. And those, and also United States has its own, its own, start building its own uh, agents from the rulers. The most ones who were known at that time, you have the King Hussein of Jordan, who was a British. You have Jamal Abdel Nasser, who was the uh, president of Egypt. He's American. And then you have Abdel Karim Qasim, who was the president of Iraq who is also uh, an American agent. You have King Saud, who is also an American. And then also you have Habib Borqiba of Tunis, who was British. So each one of these countries, the two countries, Britain and the United States, start using their, their agents in order to push their agenda. It's a game. It's a game. Go and read the book, Game of Nations, and you will understand how all of these politics work. So what happened is the United States start pushed its solution. So it's instructed Jamal Abdel Nasser of Egypt and Abdel Karim Qasim of Iraq to start calling for supporting a two-state solution. And then also instructed the King Saud of Saudi Arabia to go and start discussing and convincing the King Hussein of Jordan. King Hussein of Jordan is British. So he is adopting and calling for and supporting the British solution, which is a one-state solution. And so they want Saudis to go and convince King Hussein to abandon the one-state solution and support the two-state solution. Over the years, this attempt, those attempts failed. He refused. King Hussein refused to give that. In 1946, the Arab nations with the pressure from Jamal Abdel Nasser, created the Palestinian Liberator, Liberation Organization. So before that, before 1964, it was the issue was up to the Arab leaders. It was the Arab leaders in that area, they are the ones who are deciding what's gonna happen to the issue of Palestine, whether they accept solution or not accept solution. But in 1964, they said, we will create the Palestinian Liberation Organization, and it's the one that's going to be the representative of the Palestinian people, and it's going to be the one who decides what solution to accept and what solution to reject. Now, with this creation, with this creation, by the push of Jamal Abdel Nasser, by the push of Jamal Abdel Nasser, this paved the way for the separation of the West Bank from Jordan in order to establish the Palestinian entity. In 1965, the United, the, the, uh, the uh, Habib Borqiba, who is a UK agent, he's the president of Tunis, he called out loud for the one state solution. Look at the games, how they're going. Now, when you start calling for that, the Arab world is listening, the Arab world is hearing that. The Arab world did not accept that. The reason for that is Jamal Abdel Nasser, who was calling for Arab nationalism, 
and he get the fame there and he was well known among the Arabs, he was refusing that. So that, that proposal was rejected and by the Arabs, completely the Arab masses was rejected because of the support of Jamal Abdel Nasser, who is calling for the two, the two state solution. 1967, there was a war in 1967 in which the Israelis took over the West Bank, Golan Heights, Gaza Strip, and Sinai Desert. Four, this is the Six Day War. And this war was orchestrated to separate the West Bank from Jordan to relieve King Hussein from the pressure of accepting the two-state solution. Now the whole Palestine plus part of Syria plus part of Egypt is under the control of the Zionists. Now, part of Jordan is occupied. Part of Syria is occupied. Part of Egypt is occupied. The United States started a new way, saying we are no more talking about the uh, issue of the occupation of 1948. We need to go and start talking about Egypt itself, so it become you know, so it can get back free its land. The Jordanian government to start getting its land back. The Syrians start getting their land back, and also the Palestinians will continue as the discussion with the Palestinians. In 19, after the war, 1967, there was the UN resolution, which is the 242. These are some of the numbers that you hear, UN resolution 242, UN resolution 383. Now the UN resolution 242, it says, with the withdrawal of the Israel, this is what the resolution is, that Israel to withdraw, it's a troops from the occupied territories, occupied territories, and left it open, occupied, and acknowledges the claim of sovereignty, territorial integrity, and political independence of every state in the region. So that it, so the the UN resolution was calling for the Israeli forces to withdraw from the occupied territories. Which occupied territories? The new ones during the Six Day War. It's not the occupied territory in 1948 when they declared their state. Now, the United States start working with Egypt and Israel. They want to resolve the issue of Egypt. The Abdel Nasser is their, is, their, is, their, uh, is their man. They want to go and create a peace between him and the Israelis in order to pave the way for a two-state solution. There was because after this, after the occupation of 1967, now the Arabs, they, they were not willing to go and sit down with the Zionists in order to negotiate anything. So everything halted. Everything halted. So there was the 1973, the 1973 war, which was ignited by the United States as a pretext. Yes. And is there any solution? We know what, what happened in Palestine. Is there any solution where they can get their land? We'll, we'll talk about it at the end. Oh, this history is gone. It won't change the future of Palestine. Uh, it's good to know the history and how the world, that's why it's history. Yes. There are a lot of people homeless. 
What's the solution? And don't don't try to bet the United Nations or America that they will get through. They won't. It is up to the Muslims, people who are fighting other Muslims. I am a Muslim. I am a Muslim. Muslim. So yes. The thing is, this is their right. They are fighting and we are just debating you. We are repeating all the history. It won't change anything. I agree with we you. Know, yes. We, yes. we know Jewish are aggressors. They are oppressors. What is the solution to get land back for the Palestinians? Can you give me some time to get to the end and we'll talk about the solution? Appreciate it. Thank you. Because I talked about the solution last time when I was here. So, 1973, there is this war. And then after this war between uh, Egypt and Israel, they started negotiating. And in 1977, Sadat, he visited Israel. Sadat, he was the president of Egypt. And he gave a speech in the Knesset. 1978, Camp David, the United States, made the peace treaty between Egypt and Israel. That's in 1978, called Camp David. And part of that is the withdrawal. So the Israelis will withdraw from Sinai. And Sinai will be a demilitarized region. And there will be international forces led by the United States. 1982, the US pushed the Arab, pushed Israel to invade Lebanon to remove the Palestinian Liberation Organization. The PLO. The PLO was staged in Lebanon for some time, and they were attacking the what's so called the Israeli land. So the United States pushed pushed the the Israelis in order to go invade Lebanon and move them and get rid of them, and that happened, and they moved to Tunis. During that time, during that time, Arafat signed what was known as the uh, Mapluski documents. And in which Arafat, the Palestinian Liberation Organization, recognized the right of the existence of Israel. And it was read on the news in front, in front, in front of the reporters by McCleskey that he said, Yasser Arafat signed today on a written document in his capacity as PLO chairman. The document states that PLO accepts all UN resolutions regarding the Palestinian issue. So the Palestinian Liberation Organization accepts everything. 242-383, accept the existence of the Zionist entity, accept, accept the, 90, the borders, building a state based on the border of 1948. So it accepted that. 1988, Arafat gave a speech in the United Nations, and he declared that the one state solution is dead. So this is the progress, the competition between the competition, let me call it the competition, between the one state solution and the two state solution and how America uses its power, uses its agents and uses its tactics in order to kill the one state solution and just keep the two state solution. After that, the United States start working on the negotiations between the Palestinians and the Israelis something called Oslo Accords, Oslo One Accord and Oslo Two Accords. And these were negotiations led by the United States. The negotiations are talking about withdrawal or deployment of the Israeli security forces in the West Bank and the Gaza Strip. 
So the Israelis will withdraw from the Gaza Strip and the West Bank. Immediate transfer authority to the Palestinians over the matters of education, health, social welfare, taxation, and tourism. But there is nothing in terms of an army. They have no control over that. That stays with the, the Zionists. Then, commencement, commencement of a five-year transitional period within five years for a Palestinian self-governance. These are part of the peace talks, what they're talking about, including negotiations on outstanding issues. And the most important outstanding issues for them were the issue of Jerusalem. What's the status of Jerusalem, which is still existing, an existing issue. So also was in 1993, 1994. Until now, it's an issue. What's the status of Jerusalem? Palestinian refugees, what's their status? What are we going to do? It's still an issue until now. Israeli settlements, what's going to happen to the Israeli settlement? It's still an issue until now. Security arrangements, it's still it's an issue today. When we're talking about security here, we're talking about the security of the Israelis, not the security of the Palestinians. Security arrangement in order to stop any attacks from the Palestinians toward the Zionists. The defined borders, where are the borders? Which one is considered Palestine, which was considered Israel? Where are these borders? The foreign relations, what are the relationship, with which relations the, the, as the Palestinians can have? Creating a strong Palestinian police force. This, is, this was one of the things that they discussed in Oslo, and this was implemented. The police forces were trained in Jordan, and they were trained, and they became, and once the Palestinian Authority was started, and they, have, and they moved into Palestine, these strong police forces were used against the Palestinians in order to stop any attacks or anything against the Yahud. Uh, so this was signed in 1994. And the U and the Yahud, they would draw from Gaza and Jericho. And the Palestinian Authority moved into Ariha, Jericho. That's Oslo 1. And then is the Oslo 2 Accord, in which there are many points, but the main points are dividing, which is dividing the uh, uh, the Palestinian authority territory into three types. Area one, which is under the Palestinian administration and security. Second area, which is under the administration, Palestinian administration, but it's a joint security with the Israeli-Palestinians. And the third area, it's under Israeli administration and security. So within, within, within the land that's given as a Palestinian land, it's divided into three. One is under Palestinian administration and security. Second one is under administration of the Palestinians, but the security is joint between the Palestinians and the uh, uh, Israelis. And the third one is under the Israeli administration and security. Even it's part, even so, though it's part of the Palestinian land. And part of it too, that accord is prevent of act of terrorism and crime and hostilities against each other. And there are many other points. So these were, some points of it were executed. Now, in November of 19, November of 1995, the Israeli prime minister who signed this accord, uh, Rabin, he was assassinated. He was assassinated because there are some people who do not accept that. 
there are people among the Israelis who don't accept peace, peace negotiations with the Yahud. So they assassinated him. The same way among the Palestinians, there are people who are not accepting to the negotiations. So there's in both sides, there are people who are not accepting these negotiations. So he was assassinated. In 1996 elections, Benjamin Netanyahu, who is the current prime minister now, he was elected and he became the prime minister. And Benjamin Netanyahu, he was a hardliner. And he was an outspoken critique of this Arab negotiations and effort. After that, these negotiations of a two-state solutions and, and negotiations between the Israelis and the Palestinians was strained. This is, there was a strained relationship between them, on and off, on and off, until 2000. In 2000, when Sharon entered the Masjid al-Aqsa and the second Intifada started. After that, everything is stopped. Negotiations stopped and halted for some time. And then after that, September 11th happened. So the United States is no more interested on the negotiations and the peace, the peace process. It was not its top priority. It has the war on terror that's most important for them. And the, uh, the Zionists, the Israelis took advantage of that war on terror. They took advantage of it. And they start from time to time, in the last in the last 22 years, they start taking any time and opportunity to, to attack the Muslims, in, whether it's in the West Bank or Gaza. And as we talked about last time, Gaza itself in the last 20 years were invaded by the Zionists almost five, six times. And each time there are a mass number of killings. So it's not something new. So the whole process now, the peace process starts because of the September 11th, it took a backseat to the United States for some time until the Yahud invaded Gaza and massacred killing. Then the United States start talking about it. Obama start talking about it. Every new president, every new president start trying to go and score a political win will try to go and try to make a peace a treaty with a peace and move the two state solution. And that did not happen. And now let's let's remember when you are when you are in negotiating, the one who is weak will always be giving up. And that was the situation of the Palestinians. The Palestinian Authority, the PLO, that time, they're weak. They don't have the support even of their own people. They don't have the support of the Arabs as a PLO. They don't have the support of the Muslims. The, the, the Arab leaders are, are just, you know, they're, they're, some of them are agents to the U.S., some of them are agents to U.K., so their interest is not to go and solve this issue. So with any negotiations, the Palestinians were giving up things. In 1967, 1973, the land of 1948, the, the first land that was occupied by the Zionists, it was dropped from the Nguyen. It's no more something that they talk about in negotiations. They're talking about 1967, just the land that was occupied in 1967. After, after Geneva talks, 2003, the right of the refugees, the right of the refugees to return was dropped. And it became just an open negotiation, whether they have the right or they don't have the right. 
Before that, it was they have the right to come back and return to Palestine. In 2003 became, yeah, this is negotiable, whether they can come back or not. We'll have to find a way, we'll have to deal with that. Even with the continuous negotiations in the last 20 years, I wish the projector is working to show you the map. The land that was promised, which was about 22% of Palestine, every time there is negotiation, there is negotiation, that land shrinks. Shrinks why? Because for the Israelis, their security is the top issue. They, don't, they, they want to go and stop any attacks that are coming from the Palestinians. So security is their nightmare. And what they do, they go and create with every, with every, after every war and negotiations, there will be a buffer zone that's created. A buffer zone, it's a land that's taken from what the land that was promised to the, to the Palestinians and given to the Yahud becomes under their control. They start creating settlements, adding settlements in the West Bank. If you look at the map of the West Bank with the current settlements, and these are the settlements right now, it's almost like there are about 750,000 Jews who are living in these settlements in the West Bank. So they became reality, and they are dividing, and they are implanted in the middle of the West Bank, in different areas of the West Bank. And these are Jews who will be controlled and administered by, administered by the Israelis. So with every negotiation, there is something to go and lose from a Palestinian perspective. Now to the two-state solution. Are the Yehud, the Jews, accepting it and the Palestinians accepting it? There was surveys done by uh, the Palestinian Center for Policy and Survey Research. And there is another survey that's done by the Pro Research. Both of them show that the percentage of Jews who are accepting, who are accepting the two-state solution, 33%. And this was done in the beginning of this year. 30, 35%. And from both sides. 10, 15 years ago, it used to be in the 50%. So it's even from the people themselves, the people themselves, the Jews and the Palestinians, this is not something they're fully supporting, are not accepting. Now this as a solution, the two-state solution, as a solution, why it's difficult to go and achieve. And by the way, this is not me who's talking about it. You go and read many politicians, many politicians, or talking about that, who know the reality, who know the reality of the negotiations that are going on. You have major issues to go and resolve. Border is one. With these settlements in the middle of what you promised to be the Palestinian land, how are you going to define borders? The issue of Al-Quds, Jerusalem. The Palestinian says it's ours, the Jews says it's ours. How are you going to solve that? Divide it in the middle between who? Who's going to have control? It's a difficult issue to deal with. The refugees, until today, more than 5 million, 5 million Palestinian refugees are outside of Palestine. 
how are you going to deal with that are you going to return are they going to return to uh, to uh, palestine if they return to the palestine they would look at that as a 5 million and now with the existing number and add to it compare comparison then the demographics are going to change in israel so they're refusing that the palestinians no they want to come back how do you go and solve this security as we talked about it's something very important to the yahud how are you going to stop how are you going to stop the palestinians from attacking the israelis or the israeli army from attacking the palestinians or the settlers from attacking the palestinians how are you going to control all of that add to it the settlements the point settlements 750000 jews who live in these settlements and israel spent a lot of money on this to build these settlements and secure them how are you going to deal with that it's a challenge it's a challenge to go and do that is the two state solution feasible no it's not and this is not my view go and read politicians many politicians go and read articles uh if you go to kernigi uh, europe.eu and look for an article by judy tenson with the same title that says is the two state solution feasible and she has a very long article that talks about challenges and at the end she has a statement that says are the chances are the chances nil she says no are they anywhere near likely no and then she concludes by a two state solution exists only in theory and in practice it died long time ago so this is the two two state solution this is what senate for the palestinians this is what senate for the israelis and let's now look at this solution first this solution is presented by the superpowers it's an issue united states and uk at that time and now united states and the whole world is talking about the solution and behind the solution and they want to keep and it's in their interest to keep this issue alive and not to solve it correctly because there is a correct solution for it there is a correct solution for it a correct solution for this issue of palestine is the correct solution for the issue of kashmir a correct solution for the issue of syria a correct solution for the issue of the muslim land at all which is uniting muslims uniting muslims so they can liberate their land that's the solution this is the only solution to this this is the only correct solution from islam and from sharia perspective but for superpower for the superpowers this is not acceptable solution so they have to keep talking about a solution that might be be feasible on papers but in reality it doesn't work they have economic interests in the land they have political interests and goals in the land one goal and one important goal stopping the muslims from being united because if the muslims are united and you guys can go and research the trade routes 
in the world that are leading to Europe and to the United States. If the whole Muslim land is united, what's going to happen to the trade routes? Palestine by itself, which is, in, which, is, which is in that area, controlling one route. Yemen, controlling one route. Oman, controlling one route. And then you have uh, Morocco, controlling one route. What's going to happen if you are united and you start taking and using these tools in your political agenda in the world? As Muslims, what's going to happen? That's a strength. The world doesn't want that to happen. The world doesn't want the issue of, of Palestine to be resolved. The same way that the world doesn't want the issue of Kashmir to be resolved. Because that, by itself, is going to go against them at one point. And they know this very well. They understand this very well. So the solution, you know, the brother left who asked about the solution. The solution to the issue of Palestine and the correct and the right solution is what Salahuddin has done. That's the only solution. And let's not just lie to ourselves that hey, all of these solutions will, will do good and they will be right and correct. No. Each one who gives a solution, he has an interest in that solution. Britain has its own interest in that solution. That interest was they demolished Khilafah in 1924. In 1948, they don't want that to come back. That's why they said one country for both that's going to be integrated in the whole Middle East and that will be controlled by the superpower to keep the Muslims disunited is the way to go. The superpower, the second superpower came and said, no, we'll divide that land into two and we'll keep it divided. Each one has his own interest. Each one has his own way of solving the issue. We, the Muslims, have the interest of pleasing Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That's the only interest that we have. And that solution and that interest that we have in order to please Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, our solution should be coming from Islam. And from Islam, it's uniting the Muslim ummah to bring back Palestine under the rule of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, bring back Kashmir under the rule of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, bring back every Muslim land under the rules of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And I end with a statement, similar statement that I ended with last time, but this little bit dated. A message to you, take away, take away you. Do not concern yourself with how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will, will bring about the solution. Don't concern yourself with how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is going to bring about the solution. But concern yourself with which solution you champion for. Which solution you champion for. Because at one point, we are going to be standing in front of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The question that will be asked is, which solution you were calling for and championing for? Not why the correct solution did not materialize. That's in the hands of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So we have to focus on what we stand, what we call, because that's what we will be asked about it in front of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. With that, I'll stop here, inshallah, and take any questions and comments.
تفضل So the brother is saying that we all Muslims know what the solution is. The solution is uniting the Muslim Ummah. But we are not able to unite first on determining the first day of Ramadan, when to fast together, when to break the fasting together. Once we are able to go and decide that, then we will have the solution. Agree with you. I definitely agree with you. The decision of starting Ramadan and ending Ramadan is a political decision. It, it's a political decision. Currently, it's a political decision. In Islam and Shara, it's once you see the moon, once a Muslim sees the moon. Once a Muslim, Muslim witnesses the moon, that's from a Shara perspective. From a political perspective, these days, these days from a political perspective, no. I did not see the Jordanian moon. I did not see the Palestinian moon. The Saudi moon was not, so was not, I didn't, they did not see it. The Pakistani moon was not see it. The Algerian moon did not see it. The American moon did not see it. So, the, so because the political unity is not there. That's why all of these decisions, whether when Ramadan to start, when Eid to start, when the Hajj to start, when we as an Ummah be one, it's a political decision right now. So in order to have that political decision and have the beginning of Ramadan and the end of Ramadan as an Ummah all together in one moon, there is one moon, you have to be politically united. You have to be. How do you be become a political united? The seer of the Prophet وسلم, shows us that. Shows and tells us. It's on us. It's on us. I cannot, I cannot just wait for, in the past, Jamal Abdel Nasser and King Hussein and Abdul Karim Qasim and Al-Habib Burqiba and Al-Hassan Al-Thani and whoever to go and unite because we know each one was, each one was doing what? What was asked from him, from his master. Same people exist now. The rulers now are doing the same thing. They are the same. Do you think they will be united? Do you think do, do you think that anything could have united them more than what's happening in Gaza right now, where the bloodshed of the Muslims is happening and being killed and all of that? Massacres for the last 50. Do you think anything could have united them if they are true, sincere Muslims believe in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and they want the pleasure of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? No. But they're not. They're not, they don't care about that. So when it comes to the unity. We have to be first, we have to work for that unity. It doesn't come from the Sama, it doesn't come from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This is the unity. Yallah, you the Ummah. You're every side and everywhere, and you are not you're not you're not following the Sunnah of Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam in establishing unity. But you know what? I will give you a unity. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala did not tell us that it's gonna work like that. Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam himself he struggled for years. For years to create this unity. And when we talk about unity, it's a unity of what? Is it the unity of emotions? We have emotions. All the Muslims have the unity of emotions. 
Is it the, the unity that we are from the same background? No, that's not going to happen. It's the unity of implementing the rules and the commands of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That's the only way you will be united. When you implement the rules of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, when you have one land, when you have one land that belongs to you as Muslims, this is the unity. But it's not the unity when I have Pakistan, North Sudan, South Sudan. That's not unity. Even if you have the United, if you remember, there was a unity between Egypt and Syria. There was a unity too. Yes. And they tried to unite Iraq with them. But the Iraqi president at that time rejected and refused. There was unity. But based on what? Was it based on Islam? Based on Arabism. It did not work. It has to be based on Islam. It has to be based on the pleasure of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And for that, there is our Islam showed us the method and the way to go and do that. Otherwise, our Islam is not complete. But no, our Islam is complete. And it has a solution for that. The seer of the Prophet sallallahu tells us that and gives us the complete answer of how to unite. You don't expect results of unity when you are disunited. You have to unite first, then you will get the results of unity. Fasting, breaking fast, Ramadan, Eid, all of that, united response, all of these are results of outcomes of unity. They don't come before the unity. So the, uh, the question, I'll try to summarize it. Uh, when we're talking about one-state solution and two-state solution to the people and discussing with the people and saying these are not the correct or right solutions, and we discuss an Islamic solution, uh, people will be with, in two camps. One camp is we just make dua to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, we're powerless, make dua to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in order to uh, bring the solution. Uh, the second camp is to, to go and fight to go and fight and do jihad. Or, and uh, then you mentioned... Okay. So, so we have to go and fight because appealing to the people of power right now, to the Muslim armies in order to move is, is, not, is not working. It's not practical. So one thing that we have to keep in mind, if something and is from Islam something from Islam is, is a solution from Islam is this solution, then it stays the correct and the only solution and it doesn't change if other solutions exist. Now, and it doesn't make the other solutions as also valid solutions. They might be practical now, maybe the, what the people can do now, 
but it doesn't make them the right and correct solutions from an Islamic perspective. So for the issue of Palestine, and extended to Kashmir, extended to all Muslim lands, Palestine is an occupied land. An occupied land, it's the Shara'i, the Shara'i says that occupied land need to be uh, free, liberated by the Muslims, by the Muslims. First of all, from Shara'i perspective, the 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 uh, fard, the obligation becomes on the people in that land itself. If they can't, then it extends to the areas around it, and if they can't, then extends the whole entire ummah. Now, the people of Palestine, for the last hundred years, they're not able to liberate themselves. So it's it's it becomes this obligation extends to the Muslims around it, and the Muslims, and we're talking about liberation here. We're talking about a fight. That's what liberation is. It's uh, the negotiations been negotiating for hundred years. It's not bringing anything. So, in order to go and liberate Palestine, first of all, the du'a. Allah Subhanahu wa Taala. Yes, He listens to our du'a. Yes, Allah Subhanahu wa Taala. The doors are open to make a du'a at any point you want. But if the du'a is tied to an action. You have to go and prepare for that action and do that action and then make the dua. And the seer of the Prophet ﷺ is full of that. The Prophet ﷺ in Badr, he did not just went and make dua to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to make him victorious and provide victory to the Muslims. No, he did the preparation, he did an army and all of that, and then he made dua to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So separating the dua when it comes to action, where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is asking you to do an action, just you yourself as a Muslim to come and say, I only will do dua, and then I leave it to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This is the wrong perception about how to solve an issue in Islam and how to do the action. So that's one from the dua. In terms of the dua, you have to act and make the dua and depend on Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Fighting, going and fighting. To fight you need to have the authority over the land that you fight from. And you have to have the power over the land that you fight from. If you don't have the authority and the power over the land that you fight from and you launch your, and you send your army from there, then at one point, the country that you are launching your fights from is will be negotiating with some other superpower country and you will be stopped. You will be attacked. You will be jailed. If you don't have that power and authority, and the examples in the past history, in the recent history, for the Muslims are many, where you have fighting groups who are launch, launching fights and fighting from a land where they, have, they don't have the power and the authority, meaning they are not the state, they are not the government, all failed. So this one is going to be the same thing. Practically, practically, it doesn't work. Given the current political situation of the Muslims and the allegiance of the Muslim rulers, this will not work. The only thing that will work is according to what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala stated. What Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala stated, that you have these Muslim brothers and sisters who are pressed in Palestine or pressed in Kashmir or pressed in everywhere. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says on the day of judgment, he's asking us and every one of us why you did not fight. مَا لَكُمْ لَا تُقَاتِلُونَ فِي سَبِيلِ اللَّهِ وَالْمُسْتَمَعْفُونَ 
Oh Allah, I, I cannot fight myself. I am myself, I cannot fight. Okay, what did you do about it? Because a fight, when it comes to a fight, it's not just a word that I go and carry the weapon and start fighting. No, this is organized fighting. An organized fight is, is an army. An army requires a state. So you need to go and unite the Muslims and establish a state, and that state will have an army, and that army will deal with all of that. This is how Islam addresses and solves this issue. So it becomes practical. The unity, the Muslims are united. Their resources are one. They have the power and the authority on the land itself that they own. They are on that land. So it's their state. They have their resources. They are in control. It's their say, not the superpower say. And then you send your army. This is the only solution for this issue. And this is the only practical solution for the issue. It doesn't exist right now. Yes, it does not exist. Does it make it the wrong solution? It does not make it the wrong solution. It stays the right solution. So practically, this is the only way to go and do it. The history in the last hundred years, many fights, many fighting. Did the situation of the Palestinians change? It's getting worse. Did the situation in, in Kashmir change? It's getting worse. You said it's a long, complex history that's lasted for five years, and there's no clear solution. You explained it very well. Uh, I want to take one angle that look, we can as, as our Muslim community is growing rapidly, and uh, we have been living with everything on this, and the role of the United States in being an obstacle. There's a book by Professor Hadidi called The Daughters of Deceit, how the U.S. will implement peace in the Middle East. And so I think as long as the United States is a party in this negotiation history, because they have all the interest not in trying to solution and real solution. So I want to go back to the Muslim camp here as community. Illinois and Michigan all over the United States, and it's doing much very So we can use our power as United States citizens, residents, to influence the politics. There's many ways. There's activism where you can call, you know, the uh, the White House uh, comment, comment line on the Tuesday, Thursday, and call and, and talk to an elect person and, and present your uh, your your. your, your there you can write to your uh, local Illinois representative. You can uh, call them. You can call and write to your U.S. senator. We have a couple of them. Um, you can call or write to your the U.S. representative. So and obviously the vote. Uh, our vote will be more. So it's a long shot, but it has to start somewhere. I think if we, as, as Muslim uh, community, uh, we can eventually mount influence the politicians to, uh, to be real brokers and fair brokers in this conflict. So the, uh, the, uh, the comment is about 
we as Muslims who are living in this country here, uh, we have certain tools that we can uh, we can go and use and utilize in order to direct the uh, solution to the issue of Palestine. Um, the vote, calling senators, calling the White House, uh, local senators, um, many things that the brother mentioned. And he started with saying that we know that the United States has no interest in solving the, uh, the solution. So I will just conclude with that. The United States has no interest in solving the solution, the United States, and that's the United States government. So regardless of which congressman or woman or uh, how many you put in the Congress, or how much you vote, or how much we Muslims vote, the, it's, uh, it's the interest of the United States as a government not to solve this issue. It's an interest. So, and we, we the Muslims here, even if we become a 20% or 30% or 50% of the United States, that interest is going to stay there. There is the deep state that's running this country. It's not President Biden or, or Trump or Bush or whatever. It's the, there is a deep state that runs, and that deep state has, has a goal and has uh, an interest. So if the interest is not in solving this issue, then regardless of us, the Muslims, the Americans, the anyone in this country trying to do and to push for a solution, it will not be solved. So this is from, this is from just non-Islamic point of view. Another point of non-Islamic point of view, well, we've been doing it for the last 50 years here. We've been doing it. We've been voting. We've been calling senators. We've been calling uh, all that. Iraq was demolished. Iraq, Afghanistan was destroyed. And we spoke about all of that. And we called senators. And we know all of that stuff. Did it work? No. Is it more clear to the Muslims here? In the last six, 50 days, when they were texting and sending letters and calling the, the senators and the representatives and they're receiving the email back that we are supporting the Zionists. That's their response. Okay. The Muslim representatives themselves, what they said, we, we support the Israelis in defending themselves and we have to work on the terrorist group. That's a Muslim representative. That's their voice. They are not looking at things now, now, now to the Islamic point of view. The representatives are looking at things from an Islamic perspective. They're not there to be callers of Islam or representing Islam or delivering Islam as an alternative to, to the way of life that here. And when we say presenting Islam as an alternative way of life, we're not saying destroying people. Islam doesn't come to go and destroy and kill people. Islam comes to go and change the way that you live so you please Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and live according to the rules and commands of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Islam doesn't call for replacing people Everyone replacing them, eradicating them, and bringing about new people? No. Are these representatives talking about that? Absolutely not. Are we, the Muslims, the Muslim community, talking about that? Absolutely not. No, we're not. So from an Islamic perspective, we're not doing our duty. So if to go and expect that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is going to support us and using our voice here, 
we have to use our voice in a way that pleases him so he can support us. And if we use our voice in a way that does not please him, he will not support us. 50, 60 years, and I think is more than enough as an evidence that this voice in this country doesn't work or the West in general is not working and it will not work. So let's put our effort and resources and voice in something that will work. Educating the, the, the Muslims here, the, the, our, our, our new generation about the Muslim issues. Understanding what Kashmir is, what Palestine is, what South Sudan is, what Syria is, what Afghanistan is, this conflict. So they are aware of it. They're politically aware of what's going on in the world and put it from an Islamic perspective. And Islam does not distinguish, by the way, between politics and non-politics. Islam by itself is politics. Politics is taking care of affairs of people. Islam is there to take care of affairs of people. So let's focus on this. Let's focus on educating Muslims and non-Muslims on how Islam perceives things and how Islam provides solutions for things. Rather than calling senators, which we know their answer, or calling whatever, which we know their answer. I have a question from the sisters. Can you please provide your opinion on who will be our new Salahuddin to implement the proposed solution? Please elaborate on Salahuddin strategy for our knowledge. And inshallah, the Salahuddin is going to be one of this ummah. It could be one of this audience, inshallah. Uh, no one knows. This is this is this is, uh, as I mentioned in the end, we should not be, our concern should not be when this solution will come. Our concern should be what solution we're calling for. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will bring the Salah al-Din that's going to take care of them. The first Salah al-Din, when he grew up, he grew up in, an, in a time where things were very difficult. Muslims were killed, Muslims were massacred, all of that. But he grew up with a goal and objective. The people around him, his parents, in the masjid, the community, they taught him the importance of being a Muslim and standing up for Islam and the importance of Palestine and Al-Masjid Al-Aqsa. They taught him that. So he grew up with that in his mind. Salah al-Din did not come just to be Salah al-Din at the age of 40 and all of a sudden discovered that there is Al-Quds that's occupied. And then he started preparing an uh, uniting the Ummah and preparing an army. There is a lot of work that was done before that. And the Ummah has that. The Ummah has people who understand the reality, understand the situ Muslim situation, understand that there is an occupied land, understand the responsibility set by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in their shoulders. They are there. Some of them in jails, some of them have been attacked, some of them have been sided, some of them are not allowed to speak, some are, but they are there. That's the one that's going to be Salahuddin. One of them is going to be Salahuddin, who understand from a young age what Islam is, what the priority in his life, and what the solution is. That exists. What his name is going to be? 
he will be nicknamed Salah al-Din. But what's his year name? From which country he's coming or which land he's coming in? From Pakistan, from Egypt, from Libya, from uh, Turkey, from... No one knows but Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Does the Ummah have people who will be like that now? Yes, they do. But they're shackled. Unfortunately, they're shackled. And they're waiting for the Ummah to go and break these shackles so they can be the second Salah al-Din. Inshallah. Oh, sorry. Yeah, the brother is uh, adding one more thing that's actually a very good point, which is yeah, the women, they play a very good part when it comes to uh, raising uh, the next Salah al-Din al-Ayyubi. And uh, look at the examples of uh, the videos and the pictures that you see of our sisters in Gaza and our sisters in Kashmir. They are, when they come and they see the shuhada, they will say, Alhamdulillah. When they come, they raise their children, not to fear, but Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You will have results, you will have salah al-deen. And that's a work of parents. That's a work of the mother. That's the work of a father. Yeah. Your question. The question is, the when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, uh, let me say it again. Yeah, yeah, so all believers don't take the Yahud, the Jews, and the uh, Christians as awliya, supporters. And the one who, and this translation of the meaning, the one who does that, he is uh, among them. Uh, is it allowed for us as Muslims uh, to go and seek their support? Uh, whether here going senators or calling on senators or calling on government to go and uh, resolve our issue, uh, liberating Palestine. From an Islamic perspective, the ayah is very clear. Hadith the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, la tastadiyu binar al-mushrikeen. Don't, la tastadiyu binar al-mushrikeen, which means do not get the help and the support. And uh, literal translation, don't get light from the fire of the mushrikeen. Even, even the fire of the mushrikeen, in order to give you light, don't do that. 
which means do not get in the hadith when the when the scholars talk about that, which means do not even get support from them for your issue, for our own issue. And this is this is this is we, we are in we're we're in a difficult time. We're in a difficult time. Well, the whole world gathered against us. The whole world. The whole world gathered against us. Our own people are against us. So is the solution to go and seek from the enemies, which we know, which we know, and they are telling us out loud that we are not there to solve this issue. We're there for your resources. Trump did that physically. And he talked about it explicitly to everyone. What's the policy of uh, the United States? Same thing in Europe. Sucking the resources of the whole Muslims. All Africa. then is it logical for a Muslim to go and ask for their help and support in order to liberate the Muslim land? They are the ones who are, their interest is conflicting with what you are asking for. They will not respond to you. That's logical. They will not respond to you. And at the same time, it's not pleasing to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala told us very clear when it comes to liberating Muslim lands, it has to come from a Muslim army. It has to come by the Muslims themselves. By the Muslims themselves. It has to come by the Muslims themselves. And you will not go and ask for help to liberate a land where the, ones you, the one you are asking him is the one who is supporting the occupier. And the one who is saying that if that occupier doesn't exist, we will create him. So it's naivety from us Muslims to go and seek that path and leave the path of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala because we think that it's too far. We think it's too far. The same thing that's been we've been calling for the last 50, 60 years. 50, 60 years is too far too. We've been calling senators, we've been calling this, we've been calling even calling on the Arab leaders and the Muslim leaders to move and do something. Same thing. It's not, it's not helping. It's not doing anything. We have to go back to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. We have to go back to the way that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala told us to solve it and work on that solution. It could be far. We don't know. Allah, only Allah knows when that's going to happen. And for, for Sayyidina Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, at the very difficult time for him, after 10 years in Mecca, calling people, inviting people and all of that, and going around and the torture, did he know that he's going, the, the, that the victory is going to come from Al-Madina? He did not know. Did he know that it's going to be these six men who are coming, who are just walking in the streets of Mecca, from Al-Madina, he did not know. To him, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala surprised him with that. But he was consistent on what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala commanded him to do. He commanded him to go and follow this path. So for us, we need to follow this path, working for the unity of the Muslim Ummah. When it will happen, the time when it will happen, the place where it's going to happen, that's the ilm of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. We had no clue the way that the Prophet ﷺ did not have any clue that it's going to be Al-Madinah, where the Ansar will be coming from.
تفضل يا اخي But the brother is saying the only solution is al-muqawama. Uh, al-muqawama is the, uh, it's not fighting, al-muqawama is... Uh... No, no, you, you're saying muqawama, we'll say muqawama, but what I'm looking for, the word resistance, resistance. Since when resistance is the way to go and liberate an occupied land? I'm just going to ask you questions, because that's an opinion. You have an opinion here. Since when resistance is the way to go and liberate an occupied and occupied land? Occupied land, and we're talking here Islam. Islam. Definitely it's occupied land. The way that Kashmir is an occupied land. Yeah, the way, the, yeah. In all of that, it worked. What was the outcome? What's the outcome? What was the system in Algeria? What was the system after after the French left Algeria? What was the system that was implemented in Algeria? It's a system. It's a secular system, led led by. It's a secular system led by uh, people who have their allegiance to France. So yes, France forces left, but its impact and occupation, the economical occupation, the economic, brother, the economical, there is no more. Yes, they left. Do you think that Britain or France, they wanted to stay in the Muslim land and keep their, their military there? Or is it better? Is it better to move this military, withdraw this military, and have agents for you who are going to go and maintain your interest there. This is what happened in all the Muslim land, in Jordan, in Syria, in Iraq, in Egypt, in Algeria, in all of these areas. The rulers who were there, they were their agents and they were fulfilling their interests. They don't have to keep their military there. I agree with you. I agree, I agree with you 100%. I agree with you, I agree with you. So, Sykes people. Yeah, 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 yeah. I agree with you. So now, so now, when we're talking about resistance, resistance with the with the way that is defined, with the resistance, Abu, we we agree on that. We we agree we agree that we agree on that. All of this was created by Sykes people. We agree on that. We agree on that. Now, yes, yes, yes. We agree. We agree on that. All of us, we agree on that. But now when it comes to the word resistance, muqawama, because muqawama now, when you come and say muqawama in Palestine, which means that the muqawama of two groups, right? This is a muqawama in Palestine. Hamas and Jihad. The Palestinian, the PLO 
gave up خلاص that's it طيب from شرعي perspective we're talking شرع we're Muslims we have to think the way that Allah سبحانه وتعالى wants us to think we're not we don't we don't talk pragmatism we're not just look at the at the reality and say okay what it is can can these two groups liberate Palestine can they liberate Palestine no they can't Four of them. Just the guy in Congress who talked about to evacuate all Gaza and give Egypt some money to keep. Yeah, he. Yeah, he. Money to keep this and the yeah. piece of. What peace. What do you expect from someone who is controlling the world and whose whose interest is to keep the status quo as is? Do you expect him to go and give a solution to the issue? No, he will not give a solution. And that's what we're talking about. What I'm telling you is, when it comes to the when it comes to the solution, when it comes to the solution, the solution of Palestine, the solution of Palestine does not come from inside Palestine. All what's needed in order to stop that, just think about, it, which I mentioned even last time here. But, but brother, hold on, brother. Can I finish? Can I finish? Thank you. All what it takes in order to stop. Stop! Stop smuggling weapons to Hamas and jihad. Is secure the borders and for the United States to tell Iran stop. That's all what it takes. And then now, what they will have? How they going to manufacture their weapons? From where they going to get all of that? Jordan borders are closed. Syrian borders, there are no borders. Golan Heights, it's gone. Egypt border, Egypt borders are closed. You come and close all of that. They're going to be able to survive for two, three, four, five, ten years manufacturing. Then after that, they're going to be running out of resources. And then from where they're going to get their support? From where they're going to get material to go and build? Nowhere. Sieging that area, sieging Palestine, complete siege for ten years. That is done, finished. There will be no resistance there because they don't have anything. They don't have anything to go and build and fight with. Can they do this? Yes, they can. Why they're not doing it? Because they want to keep the status quo as is. There is an interest in that. So when it comes to the muqawama, the way it's defined right now in Palestine, it's not the solution to liberate Palestine. It has to come from outside. The way that me and you believe Salah al-Din has done it. It took him some time. It took him some time to do that. But was that was that the wrong solution? It wasn't. Do you think that during the Crusades, when Palestine was occupied, do you think that the uh, uh, Palestinians, the Muslims in that area, were not resisting the Crusades? They were. For hundred years. Did, were they able to liberate it? No, until Salah al-Din came from outside and liberated it. Because the Muslims are not cowards. The Muslims are not cowards when their land is occupied. They resist, and they do resist. They resisted the Crusades and they're resisting the Zionists now. But is this the way to liberate it? No. That's different. There is a difference between liberation. And the difference between resistance. Resistance, I will not accept the status quo as I am an occupied, I live in an occupied land, I will not accept it. 
liberation. Islam needs to be liberated. Islam says when it's to be liberated, it has to be from outside. Yeah, resistance is there, and the resistance is there, and resistance will continue. But we're saying here, is it the solution? No, but the resistance keeps you alive. Absolutely, alive. and it will, it will. Before, 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 So we'll take last last question, inshallah. Abu Ali, Abu Ali, need to take question. Last question, Yani. I, I apologize in the back.
and all over the place. So Rasulullah is not, his method was not to formulate a, a gang or a militia to liberate the first Shaheed of Islam, even though he could have done that. But he, can, he only told her to be patient, and he told her that, you know, and he made dua for her. And that is very important. And sadly, this is where a lot of scholars get to stop. They say they do make dua for her, and that's all we can do. But that's not what the Prophet did. Prophet made dua for her, but he was working and he was trying to get mutlaq, trying to get uh, uh, backup and support from people in power in order to establish a state, in order to have an army, to eliminate the problems from their roots, from their roots. So we have to look at the people of the We have to know that we have to look at this path in order to gain victory, like the Prophet did. We do not have to see how the victory will come, like the Prophet Ashraf said, but Prophet didn't know that the, that the, the Muslim was going to come from Medina, even though it did. And the same thing Allah subhanahu wa teaches us in all of the examples that Musa when the when the people that followed him, that Israel followed him, and the lake was he was behind him, and Baal was in front of him, and they were stuck. And everybody thought, no matter what, we're going to die. Allah Sulaiman. No matter what, we're going to die. But until, long story short, until the people that were with, were, were with Musa until they started looking Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for the, uh, the help, for the guidance, that is when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala told Musa to so and then we have to look to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala only for help and guidance, not to you and not to the US. And we have to make sure every step we take is in Madad so we can take the victory inshallah. And sorry, but I kind of lost my skill yeah, so the summary is we have to, you know, the summary of the brother mentioned is we have to uh, always seek the uh, uh, the right and the correct way of doing things that pleases Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala according to Islam. And the issue of Palestine, there is a solution for it from Islam. So we have to look at that uh, and that should be the view uh, for us and then do the tawakkul on Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But with that, inshallah, we'll stop, uh, we'll stop here. Thank you for listening to this podcast. Podcasts on current events, Islamic guidance, Quran, Tafsir, and Sirah are available at islampodcasts.com as well as on iTunes. Rate, review, and comment and let us know how we can grow in our knowledge to better serve our community. Please subscribe, share, and tell a friend about islampodcasts.com.